This is Tending Seeds, a podcast about my adventures in homesteading and herbalism. I'm Sarah Schuster, and I'll be your host. Thanks for being here today. Hey, friends. So if you're noticing that the podcast is a day late this week, I apologize. The reason for that is that I recorded the podcast, and after I got done recording the entire episode, had a little technological failure there where I realized that somehow the software was recording not from the mic that I normally record into that gives pretty decent sound quality, but instead just from my normal laptop microphone, which sounded very far away and tinny and generally just terrible. So I didn't want to subject you all to that. So we're a little later, but hopefully the sound quality is better and that will make up for it. Fingers crossed. Some house and homestead updates here is that things have been a bit tough. Um, Two of our three dogs have taken downward turns health-wise. We're doing what we can to help them be comfortable and as pain-free as possible as they approach end of life. They're both 14 and were rescues through a local organization that focuses on senior dogs. But they're still my babies. I love them so much, but I also know the best last kindness and gift I can give them is to not selfishly hold on for too long if they're in pain. So I know we have some hard days coming here probably in the not-so-distant future, but not just yet. So they're hanging on for the moment. We're keeping them comfortable and we'll just have to see how things go. In the meantime, there's lots keeping me busy, both outside in the garden and inside. Elderberry season is almost here, so I'm keeping a close eye on that. I've also started sketching out my plan for our backyard area. I want to fill in the small area from our back deck out to my herb office with beautiful pathways, herb beds, a fire pit with cob benches, a walking labyrinth, and maybe even an outdoor shower. Most of these projects are things I won't be able to work on until the fall or winter, but it was really fun to get some of it down on paper at least and to start thinking about it all in more concrete terms. The wood stove install got rescheduled yet again due to rain. So fingers crossed that two weeks from now, it will actually be a sunny day here. I could be annoyed about this or I could be grateful that it's summer and these issues aren't happening at a time when we need the stove for heat like November or December. So I'm going to go with grateful on this one and not stress about it. Good things are still coming in from the garden here. I've been drying lots of herbs and also making batches of pesto for the freezer. Oh, and tomato canning season is almost upon us. All of this brings us to our main topic for today, which is different types of food preservation. This is a super busy time of year for farmers and foragers alike, and so it brings up the question of how to best preserve these abundant harvests. So today I'm going to go over several types of food preservation with brief overviews about each one, as well as some of the potential pros and cons of each for you to consider. The first one I'll jump into is canning, which I think is sort of the quintessential food preservation method that most people imagine when you first start to think about homesteading, gardening, growing your own food, and then maybe canning green beans and tomatoes. There are a couple of ways to go about canning. Most people start with a water bath canner, which works well for foods that already have a high acidity level. So if you're canning fruits or jams or tomatoes, um, though now you do tend to have to add some citric acid or some lemon juice to those tomatoes. Or you can do pressure canning, which works for just about everything, um, regardless of acidity level. There are tons of resources online, and you can look for official tested recipes, and there's just so much stuff you can can. It's pretty versatile. I think one of the big pros for this is that it's a pretty minimal cost each year once you're up and running. So once you have your actual canner and, you know, your jars and the rings, the only thing you're having to buy after that is replacing just the lids each year because those are single use. There are some companies out there that are making lids that are supposedly reusable, 
but from the research and the anecdotal stories I've seen other people talking about in different homesteading groups is that those still maybe aren't quite there yet in terms of tech, in terms of not having a lot of failures and batches when you use those resealable lids. So for now, I'm using the traditional lids that you use one time and then you have to chuck, but everything else will be reused from year to year, the jars and the rings. One of the best parts of canning is that the final product isn't going to take up any room in your fridge or freezer. It just goes onto your shelf. Also, canned stuff will easily last a few years. I know there are lots of stories of people keeping stuff for a lot longer than that. Over time, you can start to lose nutrients and also flavor and taste, even if it's still quote unquote safe to eat. And I just feel like I'm growing a garden every year. I'm going to cycle my stuff through. So nothing's going to be more than a year or two old in my pantry. In terms of cons for canning, I think it's mostly mental in in that people can be a little timid about this at first and worried that they're going to do it wrong and have like a food safety issue and possibly, you know, get themselves or someone else sick. But I think as long as you're making sure you're following standardized tested recipes, especially at first when you're just getting started with this and getting a feel for it, and that you're checking to make sure your jars have sealed, you should be fine. The only other con I can think of is that it can be a little time consuming. And most importantly, it really does heat up your house. And (laughs) most of the time, the season that you're canning in, it's probably going to be pretty hot out. So towards the end of this month and on into August is going to be prime tomato canning season. And it's also some of the hottest months of the year. I know some homesteaders get around this by setting up outdoor kitchens for themselves. That's sort of on my perpetual list of possible projects here. But I think most of us don't really have that at our disposal. And so we just kind of have to suck it up and deal with it. But still, overall, I think the pros definitely outweigh the cons. And canning is definitely an easy skill to learn. And so I feel like if you're interested in homesteading, go ahead and start learning that now. Kind of like what we talked about in the previous episode about homesteading skills to start going ahead and learning, even if you're not out on your own land yet. The next method we'll jump into is drying and dehydrating. I do this quite a bit. I mostly use this for culinary and medicinal herbs, and then also like some fruits and fruit leathers. The biggest pro for this is that it's super easy to do. It's really hard to mess up. You're going to know whether stuff is dry or not, if it has a good snap or crack instead of being just like wiggly and bendy when it's done. Also, once you're actually done drying stuff and you throw it in a container, just go back and check it over the next couple days. Check it once a day. And if you see moisture or condensation building up inside of that container, then you know that it's not fully dry. So go ahead and pop it out. Put it back in the dehydrator for a bit until it's thoroughly dried out again. You can do this so you can buy a dehydrator or you can use a method using just your kitchen oven where you will want to, you know, especially for something delicate like herbs, you'll turn the oven on, drop it to the lowest heat possible, let it warm up, then turn the oven off, open the oven door, put your herbs in, and then leave the door cracked. And you'll want to check on those herbs pretty frequently to make sure they don't get burnt or too overly dried out to where they're just useless to you. Other people, I've seen plans online that you can find for free even for building like free solar dehydrators to use outside, which the upside of that is that then you're not having to run power in your house. And so you're saving the expense from that once you do the initial expense of building the dehydrator. Again, it's on my perpetual list of projects that may or may not happen here. I think, you know, another pro of this is just like canning, your final product doesn't need to go in the refrigerator or freezer. The only other con is that I think it's useful for a smaller range of things than canning and that it does take power to run if you're using your oven or an indoor dehydrator. Again, you can look into like a solar dehydrator, though, if that's of interest to you. Next, I'll talk about freezing, which is a super easy method to use. 
So fruits are normally frozen as is or just in slices. Vegetables, you're normally going to want to blanch these, which is a pretty easy process as well. So blanching just means you're putting your vegetables in boiling water for just a few minutes and then rapidly cooling them in ice water. This helps you preserve both color, texture, and flavor of your vegetables before you put them in the freezer. Whether you're talking about fruits or vegetables, I would always recommend spreading out whatever you're freezing onto a cookie sheet in the freezer, letting them start to freeze that way, and then going ahead and bagging them up and putting them in either into like a, a bag or a jar to store in the freezer. This way you'll have individual pieces that aren't all frozen together into one big lump that then you have to break apart when you go to use them. So pros for freezing, super easy, very little prep time. You can decide if you want to slice things into smaller portions or just freeze fruits and stuff as is, you know, whole strawberries and things like that. And again, no real equipment is required here except for the freezer itself. And then whatever materials you're using to package the food, whether that's jars or bags. The biggest two cons for freezing food is that most of us have pretty limited freezer space. So, you know, for us, we just have a fridge with the little freezer on top of it. We may end up getting a larger freezer at some point, but for right now, that's what we're operating with. So for, for that, your freezer space is limited and it's really easy to fill that up pretty quickly, or you're going to end up buying or trading someone for like a standalone freezer. Either way, it costs money to run these. And then you also need to start worrying about, you know, potential spoilage if you're in an area where you get power outages. For us, we've noticed in the little over a year that we've been out here, we lose power pretty regularly anytime we have like a good thunderstorm here. It's not a long power outage though, normally four to six hours, so nothing crazy. And as long as we're mindful of that and don't like open up the fridge and freezer, we haven't lost any food to spoilage so far. But if you are in an area where you're losing power frequently for longer periods of time, you know, days, then maybe this isn't the method you want to pick for putting up your awesome, you know, garden harvest, because it'd be real disappointing to lose all that. I have a friend, hey, Christian, who I know listens to the podcast, just texted me earlier this week that they had a freezer out in their garage, couldn't figure out, you know, where this funky smell was coming from and then realized the freezer had just died. They hadn't lost power to the house, but the freezer itself just kicked the bucket and they lost everything that was in there. And that's a huge blow. You know, when you start putting up food thinking, this is my, my food bank basically heading into fall and winter. So The only upside there is I know that really stinks for them, but at least it's early enough in the season and in the summer that hopefully they can get a new freezer and get that replenished pretty quickly for themselves. But it's still a bummer. It really stinks, you know, the effort and energy you put into growing food and then putting it up to then lose it like that. So I think potential power outages, that's the biggest downside for any sort of freezing. Next, I want to talk about fermenting and pickling. These are two separate techniques, but I'm going to go ahead and combine these into one group just because they're really similar in terms of prep method and also the uh, equipment requirements. And in terms of equipment, you don't really need very much at all. So you need jars to stuff things into and a knife to cut things up. The other pros for this is that it's easy. It's fast to do. It's really simple to learn how to do this stuff. And you get all these yummy probiotics if you're fermenting and pickling stuff, which I know probiotics have become like this kind of buzzwordy thing that everyone talks about. But for once, I think it's actually a good thing to have be a buzzword. And I can't get enough of, you know, fermented and pickled stuff. When we talk about cons for fermenting and pickling, this kind of goes back to what we discussed with canning. I think that this is one of the methods of food preservation that freaks people out the most. 
where they're so scared of like getting people sick, getting themselves or their family sick, botulism or mold or just any sort of weird funkiness here, especially like with fermenting because you are getting like some funky smells and stuff coming off of that. And I think a lot of people can be really trepidatious about this, but it's so easy. Like you can make pickles and just sauerkraut, just really easy things. Like sauerkraut's literally two ingredients, cabbage and salt. You know, you're massaging that together. The salt pulls water out of the cabbage to make a brine. You jam it down in a mason jar. You put a little glass jar or, you know, some people buy the fancy like fermentation weights or whatever. Just stick a little something on top to make sure all of your vegetable material is fully submerged in the brine. Leave it on your counter, covered, check on it, and you just wait. And it's so yummy. You'll see if you go look and poke around at like your grocery store or your food co-op or wherever you're buying stuff fermented stuff and pickled, you know, stuff that have probiotics that haven't been, you know, processed, that stuff can be so expensive. So if you can learn to make this on your own, just on your kitchen counter, man, you can save so much money. And I feel like it tastes better anyway. So start with, start with easy projects, start with pickles, start with sauerkraut and just go from there. I think you'll be hooked. I got into making kombucha about two years ago. I need to get back to it because I kind of fell off during the move. Again, you really can't be just making your own fermented stuff. It's awesome. All right, the last one I want to talk about is cool storage or root cellars. If you have a root cellar already, then this is a really awesome tool to have at your disposal because it's already there. It's built, it's free, it's easy to use. You don't need any tools and you don't need power. So this basically just means having an area that's dark and kept in such a way that temp-wise, it's at a cooler temperature, you're not having to worry about temperature spikes even throughout the summer. And this is where you can store root crops, winter squash, onions, garlic, apples, just so many things that you can store and keep in there. I have to admit, I'm super jealous of anyone that has a root cellar. It just wasn't a thing we were finding in a lot of places we looked at when we were looking for property and houses to purchase. I guess there's always the possibility, I joke about digging like a root cellar slash fermentation cave somewhere on the property. It hasn't happened yet. Let's just go ahead and add that back to the aforementioned ever-growing potential project list. So I think the big con for a root cellar, other than the fact that most of us don't already have these on our property, is that even if you do have them, you need to make sure you are checking regularly on all of the items in your root cellar. If you're storing bins of squash or onions or apples or something like that, um, where things are touching each other, especially, you need to make sure you're going through those. I would say probably once a week going through, making sure you're finding any that are starting to turn or have turned and pulling those out and separating them from the rest of the products and using those up immediately. You know, that phrase, one bad apple can ruin the bunch. This is where that comes from is because if you have a box of apples and one of them has turned and it's in there down at the bottom of the box, all the other apples near it are going to start to turn even faster too. I've seen people with like really big ample root cellars where they have shelving, you know, from floor to ceiling and they're able to spread stuff out so that, you know, winter squash and stuff that you're storing, none of it's touching each other. That's great. I know for most of us, though, space is always at a premium, especially if we're building our own places and digging out root cellars on our own. And so odds are you're probably just having, you know, bins of stuff kind of kicking around. And that is totally fine. You just need to make sure you're going through those on a regular basis. Otherwise, you're going to be real sad and it's going to be real stinky. 
There are other methods of food preservation we could dive into and talk about, but they're not really ones I have experience with. And they're also not ones that I think most people are doing. I think we've covered the basics to kind of get you started. I think in truth, there's probably no one single method that is going to cover all of your preservation needs. I know that's true for me. I do all of these except for the root cellar. Most likely you'll end up doing a combination of them as well. Or hey, maybe you'll end up trying them all. If you have a root cellar, again, I'm super jealous. Please send me pictures. But give them a shot. See which ones best fit your own life and setup and go from there. So I hope this was helpful for you and that you're having really awesome garden harvest already at this point in the season and hopefully doing fun things to start putting this food up. You know, I know (laughs) at some point in the season, it all kind of gets ahead of you and there's just more than you can possibly eat or even give away. And so it's time to figure out, you know, what are you going to do with it all? especially things like zucchini and squash and pretty soon in probably about a month or so, tomatoes will be joining that list. So start thinking now, start planning ahead for that abundant harvest, (laughs) make friends with your neighbors. Um, I know there's always a joke about this time of year that you have to be sure you don't leave your car unlocked because you'll come back and find like a bag of zucchini in it because people are just desperate to get rid of their abundant harvest. And to that, I say, I love squash patties, so you can always drop some at my house. That's not a problem. Anyway, I hope everyone's doing great out there. As always, you can contact me with questions, comments, topics you'd like me to cover. My email is foxandelder at gmail.com. You can connect with me also on Instagram, foxandelder, all one word. I try to post usually about five five, five or six times a week over there. Just what's going on here at the farm, what's coming out of the garden, what I'm foraging. So if you want kind of a more in-depth look at what's happening there, definitely check me out on Instagram and say hello. Let me know what you'd like to hear about on the podcast. I'll be back with new episodes on the first and third Wednesday of each month. Sorry again about this one being late. Life just kind of got away from me. We had that technology fail. Thanks, Mercury Retrograde. All right. Until next time, keep your hands dirty and your heart open.